They rejected Him. Why did His people reject Him? They did not have eyes to see. They were blinded by the lenses of tradition, by self-righteousness, and the Bible tells us that they had hard and stubborn hearts. Now, we can amen that. The reality is He did come. He offered Himself to His own people. His own people rejected Him. He turned to the Gentiles. The plan in place is is that one day the nation of Israel is going to wake up and say, wait a minute, you have our Messiah. He's our Messiah. And they're going to turn back to him. And that's been the plan all along. He came to his own people. His own people rejected him. He then turns to the Gentiles. And we see that in the book of Acts. When you see the message going from Peter in the first beginnings of Acts to Paul in the second half of Acts, what is happening is, is that the message is now being proclaimed to the nations, the ethnos, the peoples of all over the world. So for a time, that light was only in the nation of Israel, but through the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, through the pouring out of His Holy Spirit, now that message is going out where? To all of the world. And so we see that. We see that God had a plan in place, and that plan has been the same plan all along, and that same plan works all the time, all all the time it works the same way. God proclaims His truth, And we either receive that truth and believe that truth, or we reject that truth. Now, if you notice the title of our sermon today, it's called Freed to Will. Freed to Will. And every one of you in this room this morning, you chose to come here this morning. There may be a husband or a wife here today that didn't want to come, but their husband brought them, right? Maybe it wasn't your choice to come today, you just had to come. Maybe one of the kids wants to be home watching TV. They, They didn't choose to come, but their parents told them to come. But the reality is, one of the first things that we need to understand is, he came to his own, his own people did not receive him, but to all of those who did receive him, he gives them the right to become children of God. And what we need to see is, is that there is a great difference in free will and free choice. You as a creature, you as one of God's created creatures, you have the ability to choose all of the time. You can choose. But we also need to understand that there are times when God's will overrides your will. The next time that you have an abscess tooth and a toothache, choose for it not to hurt. It won't work with it. Now you do have the choice to go to the doctor and get some medicine, and hopefully it will heal you. But the reality is, is that all through the Bible we are taught that there are some times when God chooses for us when we would not even choose for ourselves. And so what you and I have to understand is, is that there are some times when God's will overrides our will. He's the one that created you. And the Bible teaches us that we are the clay and he is the potter. You see? And so we want to make sure that we distinguish this today as we look at our text. So let's look at John 1, 12 uh, and 13. John 1, 12 and 13. And it says in, well, that's the one, that's 1 through 14. All right. All right. He came to his own, his own people did not receive him. So watch what it says. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. But he who are born not of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, 
but of God. And what I hope to do today in our passage is to let's break this down. And you remember I was talking with the kids a minute ago. There's a lot of things that God says that sometimes does not make sense to us. But if we will go to His Word and we do ask His Holy Spirit to help us to understand, He will open our eyes to beautiful things that we've never seen before. The first thing we see is that every that He came and He offers His light to who? All. And to all of those who receive Him, as many as receive Him, right? That's what it says. So, as many as receive Him, He gives them the right to become children of God, as many as believe on His name. So I want you to look as, as John is declaring to us this gospel message, this plan of salvation. And what does it say? First we receive... Then we are given the right to become children, and then we believe. We receive, we're given the right to become children, then we believe. As many as received him. There was an old preacher, his name was George Whitfield. He, he was actually working with John Wesley here in Savannah to establish the Bethesda Boys Home a long time ago. And George Whitfield used to preach revivals all over this country. And, and one of the sermons that he always preached was, you must be born again. He preached out of John 3. You must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born again. And so one day after the sermon, he went and he was on the way out. And one of the, the patrons kind of shook his hand and greeted him after the service to tell him how much he enjoyed the service. He said, I really enjoyed the service, but let me ask you, Mr. Whitfield. He said, the last time I heard you preach up the road, you preached on you must be born again. Why do you preach the same sermon over and over again? And he said, well, you must be born again. You see, the first step to salvation is regeneration. Amen. You must be born again. And so when we talk about our will, our free will, there is not a single one of us in this room who chose to be born Yes. Who chose that for you? Who made sure and ensured that that seed and that egg were planted together and that you grew up in that womb? It was God. And so what we have to understand is we have to learn to trust that God is good and God always does what is right. And when we trust Him, He sets us free to enjoy all that He has created us to enjoy. Amen. But in the garden, Adam and Eve chose to turn away from his freedom. They, they used their free will to turn away from his promises and turn to what looked good, felt good, sounded good, and felt good to them. And by turning away from God's truth, they brought themselves into the bondage and slavery of sin. Yes. You see? And one of the main themes that you will hear all throughout the Bible is how God is constantly saving his people from slavery. Amen. Pharaoh, let my people go. God sent his messenger Moses and he preached to Pharaoh and said, you are going to let my people go. The children of Israel that were in Egypt did not have a free will. They were slaves. Amen. And one of the greatest things that we can grasp is the slavery and the bondage that comes in sin. 
If any of you in this room have ever struggled with drugs or alcohol, or you have a family member who is an alcoholic or a drug addict, you will know that they are a slave to their addiction. Amen. And the only thing that will set them free is a change of heart. Amen. Their heart has to change. Because when I smoke, when I use tobacco and I'm addicted to nicotine, I think that I'm free. I'm choosing to do what I want to do. But the reality is I'm in bondage to a, a passion. I'm in bondage to a feeling. I'm in bondage to something that is destroying my body. And I think that I'm doing it because I want to. And the reality is I do want to. You see, when I try to quit smoking, quit drinking, or quit cursing when I stump my toe on the coffee table, if I try to use my will to stop doing that, then the rest of my life I'm going to have to rely on my strength to abstain from it. I'll share a little inside information with you. I chewed tobacco from the time I was 13 till I was 40. I played baseball when I was a kid, and we used to mix it with our big league chew, our bubble gum, and chew it on the ball field. Like, no, nobody knew that chew was bad for you, so we did it. And for 40 years, I used tobacco. And I was hooked on it. Nicotine is five times stronger in chewing tobacco than it is in a cigarette. And I thank God I've been set free from that desire. Actually, I've not been set free from that desire. God has given me the strength to overcome that desire. I can still go to a gas station today. I haven't had tobacco in my mouth in over 15 years. And I can still go to a a, a, a gas station today and see it behind the counter and my mouth starts watering. (laughs) Now, I'm just being honest with you. But because God has set me free from that, now I struggle with that. Before he set me free, there was no struggle. I was going to do it. You see? And so God steps into our lives and he sets us free from the bondage of slavery and sin. Now, I know a lot of you in this church grew up in church all your life. You said, well, I never did any of that. I never smoked. But the reality is, is that any child of God who has been born again has an understanding of what they used to be and who they are now. And there's not a single one of us in this room that does not struggle with our sinful desires. There is still the old man in you, and you fight it every day. Yes. And if you don't, you're telling a fib. You're lying. Man. You need to repent of that. Yes. But the difference in a true child of God and a worldling is that the worldling embraces the slavery that they're in. The true child of God steps out into the freedom that they have in Christ. And now I struggle with my addictions. I struggle with my passions. I struggle with those things that used to cripple me and keep me in bondage. You see, God has given me a new heart and he has given me the will to fight what I did not have the will and strength to fight before he saved me. Now, I want to go and I want to show you that we must be born again. He then gives us the right to become children of God. Think about what he's saying. When you turn from sin itself and turn to Him, you are responding to His promise to you. When you receive Him, when you believe Him, when you turn to Him, He then gives you the right to become a child of God. Well, any of y'all in this room that are in the age, you know that the Civil Rights Movement was a movement about the fight for people of all races and colors and creeds to be able to have the same liberties and freedoms in this country. Yes. All right? 
The truth of the matter is there's other words for the word right. The freedom, the ability, the privilege, the opportunity. All of those things declare that you have the right to do something. You see? And what this is teaching us is that when God sets us free and pulls us out of slavery and sin, He gives us the freedom, the ability, the choice, the rightness to become children of God. He sets us free to choose. So, Adam and Eve in the garden, when they turned away from God and His truth, they lost their freedom. And they lived the rest of their lives struggling with that loss. Each and every one of you know that. We've all buried loved ones. We've all had children that are struggling out in the world and our hearts break for them. They are in bondage to slavery and sin. And what happens is, is God reaches down and says, no, I love you too much to let you keep living that like that. And he sets us free to be able to make the choice again. Now, we'll go into that a little more in depth here in just a second. So, he gives them the right. And all of those who receive him, all of those that believe on his name, he gives them the right to become children of God, even those who believe in his name. Now, his name is his promise. It's who he is. And so watch what he's saying there. He gives you the right to become a children of God, all who believe. Y'all know the John 3.16 passage. Uh, God so loved the Lord, he gave his only begotten son, that all of the believing one, whosoever believes on him, will not perish but have everlasting life. And that's what it's saying right here. To all of those who receive Him, to all of those that believe on His name, He gives them the freedom, the right, the ability, the privilege to become children of God. And if you're in this room today and you truly are born again and blood of child of God, it is because God placed someone in your life that shared His promises with you and through the power of those promises and through the power of the Spirit of God, He set you free, adopted you into His family, made you His child, and gave you the ability to do what you could not do before He saved you. Amen. He sets you free from the bondage of sin and slavery. Now, let's go back to the Old Testament and look at an example of this. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn there, I think Billy will be able to get up here. Ezekiel 36, we're going to look at the passage in the book of Ezekiel. Remember, the children of God are in, uh, out in, they, in the book of Ezekiel. They are already slaves in a place called Babylon. They're living in Babylon, and they're enslaved in Babylon. And God sends Ezekiel to his people. He said, Then the word of the Lord came to me, this is Ezekiel talking, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their ways before me was like an uncleanliness of a woman in her impurity. Therefore I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they had shed on the land because they had defiled it with their idols. I also scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the lands according to their ways and their deeds. I judged them. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name because it was said of them, These are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of his land. And then we'll stop with this verse. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. So this is Ezekiel. God is speaking to him. He said, and he's fixed to say, I got a message for you to go to tell my people. They are my people. I gave them a land. And instead of them trusting me and walking with me in covenant faithfulness, they turned away from me and turned to their idols. And so now I am judging them. I am judging my own people because they have profaned my name. 
One of the Ten Commandments is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, in vanity, right? Well, a lot of times what we think immediately when we hear that is we hear, don't say GD or OMG or put God's name or don't make jokes about God. Don't use His name in vain. And that's a very, that is one of the uh, ways that we can use God's name in vain. That is definitely breaking one of the Ten Commandments when we use God in our everyday speech, when we drag Him down into our naturalness. Yes. But there's a deeper meaning to taking God's name in vain. And what it means is, is you and I are Christians. You carry the name of Christ in the same way that you carry your father or your husband's last name. You are a representative of who He is. And when you run around and you tell everybody, this is what the children of Israel when they run around and tell everybody they're a Christian, they're a child. Well, they didn't tell them they were a Christian. They didn't know who Christ was to have that name yet. But when you go around and you tell people you are a Christian, you are saying, I'm God's child. And to take that name and go out and live in the mud with it is to take his name in vain. You've taken a name upon yourself and you are representing yourself as a child of God. And you are not living for him. You are, taking, you are breaking one of his ten commandments. And that's what he's saying about the children of Israel. I gave you my name. You're my people, my chosen ones, my special flock that I've given my word and my commandments to and my worship and everything that you need to know me and to walk with me and to have me and to know peace and love and joy. And yet instead of taking one of the gifts that I've given you, my word, my name, instead of taking those things and using them to glorify me, you've turned away from them and used them to glorify yourself. And so God has brought judgment down on His people. He sent a nation called Assyria. Then He sent a nation called Babylon down there to drag them off into slavery. And here they are in slavery. They are miserable. There's a psalm that says, We sat on the, uh, uh, the banks of the river in Babylon and on the Euphrates River, and we wept. Our hearts hung in the trees because our hearts were broken and we can't worship our God because we don't have a temple anymore and the joy of God is away from us and they sat on the banks of that river and wept because God had judged them. But I want you to watch and the hope that comes in the next verse. Look what God says. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in them in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord God, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among them. Now watch, this is what he's saying. Okay, Israel, you are in sin. You are in slavery. You are in bondage. You are miserable. But I'm fixing to do something about it. And it's not because you're good. It's because you have my name. You're my kids, and you have my promise. And it's not for your sake that I'm about to do this. I'm about to do this to prove to all of the nations and all of the world that you are my people, and I always keep my promises despite you. See how that works? And look what he says he will do. I will vindicate the whole thing. Now watch. I want you to listen at how many times God says, I will. Whose will is this? I will. God. Look what he says. I will take you from among the nations, gather you from all of the lands, and bring you into your own land. 
I will sprinkle clean water on you. You will be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So look what God's will is for his people. He says, I'm no longer going to let you live in slavery and bondage anymore. You're my kids and you have my promise and I'm not going to let that happen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to reach down to that wicked, filthy world that you live in and I'm going to snatch you out of it. And I'm going to wash you clean. And I'm going to reach into that chest of yours and rip that heart of stone out of you. And I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to create in you a new heart. And not only am I going to give you a new heart, I'm going to fill you with my spirit and give you the strength to walk in a way that you never would have walked on your own. Amen. Yeah. You see what God's saying to his children? Well, Jesus refers to this. Let's turn over to John chapter 3. This is one of our most famous verses in the Bible. John chapter 3. And let's look at what, compare the Ezekiel passage to what Jesus is saying to this Pharisee, this member of the Sanhedrin, one of the top 70 religious guys in all of Israel. This Nicodemus. He was one of the top 70 guys. And all of their religion. And he comes to Jesus by night and wants to know. He said, Jesus, what must he said, what must I do to enter heaven? And what did Jesus say to him? You must be born again. That's the first thing he said to him. And look what he said. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you that unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What is it called when we cannot see? Blind. He's telling the most religious guy in that whole community that he's blind to the things of God. Do you imagine how offensive that is? Do you know how quick the hair on the back of my neck and my pride stands up when somebody shows me I'm wrong about something in the Bible? I don't like to be told I'm wrong, and you don't either. But God's Word is going to tell all of us where we stand with Him, either in His will or outside of His will. And look what He said. He said, Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? And be born, can he? So what are you saying? Jesus, how am I supposed to climb back up in my mommy and be pushed out again? Nicodemus is speaking in physical terms. Jesus is talking about a spiritual renewal. So watch what he says. Nicodemus, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What does it mean enter? To go in. You see what Jesus is doing here is he knows Nicodemus as a Jew. And he knows Nicodemus is very familiar with the Old Testament. So he's pointing him to that passage in Ezekiel. And he say, hey, Nicodemus, you remember that time when y'all were in Babylon? When we were in Babylon as a nation? And my father said to you, I will rip you out of that place. And I will wash you. And I will rip that heart of stone out of you. And give you a heart of flesh. And fill you with my spirit. And give you the ability to walk in a way you never would. Well, that's the new birth. That's regeneration. And God has promised it to his people. But Nicodemus, now I'm paraphrasing here. This is not what Jesus said, but I'm gonna, I, I want to get you what's being implied here. You, Nicodemus, are in bondage to your traditions. You are in bondage to your self-righteousness, your self-will, and your self-sufficiency. And God is going to do something about it. 
You are enslaved to your own will. So enslaved to your own will that you can't do the will of God. And I love you too much, Nicodemus, to let you do that. So I'm going to reach down and do this for you. Now we do know that later on in the story that Nicodemus is the one that was Joseph with Joseph of Arimathea buying the spices and getting ready to prepare the body of Jesus. We also know that Nicodemus was the one that stood up in front of all the other standing and said, wait, 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 are we supposed to judge this guy before we hear what he says? See, what's happened? Nicodemus went and had this conversation with Jesus, and now the word of God is starting to set Nicodemus free. It's starting to open his eyes to all of the blindness he had to tradition and self-righteousness, self-sufficiency. He was clinging to a religion when he needed that new heart. He was trusting in what he was doing instead of what God would do for him. And Jesus is setting him free. So, I want us to see that two things that we need to really make sure of, or three things that we really need to make sure of that we understand from this lesson today. Number one, you are your will, that's you, your desire, your desire, what you want, your will is only as free as your nature. Let me say that again. I want to sink in. Your will is only as free as your nature. Number two, it is God's will that is the cause of our salvation. Yes. And number three, it's God's work that saves us. Now, I want you to know this. There's not a single one of you in here that is born again that was saved. That God literally grabbed out a hair and dragged down an aisle and made you make a decision. I hear people say this all the time. God doesn't want robots, right? He don't want automatons. He don't want uh, uh, programmable creatures. But the reality is, before he sets you free to salvation, you are a slave to sin. You are a robot to your natural desire. That's what you do. When God saved you, he reached in and ripped that heart out of the stone out of you and gave you a heart of flesh. And now you have the desire and the will to come to receive them. You see how that works? Why am I saying all this? Because it is so important that God gets the glory for what He's done in your life. Amen. We give Him the glory. If it was your choice that saved you, then you can choose not to be saved. Yes. Again, you are free to choose. Y'all freely chose to come here this morning. I pray that it was out of love and, and God's grace at work in your heart that you came today. And so it's not like God drags us down the aisle and forces us into that something. What he does is he sets us free to make a choice that we were not capable of making before he set us free. Does that make sense? Amen. Now I want to share you with you a couple passages in the New Testament to prove that to you. Look in Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start winding down here. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. Again, our will, our free will, our free will is the problem, not the solution. I tell this all the time to addicts. I work with addicts all the time. And what I'll tell them is if you're trusting in your willpower to stop doing that, like to stop doing drugs, you're going to fall on your face because it's your will to do the drugs. Like what the addict really freely wills to do is to smoke or drink or do whatever it is they're doing. That's what they really want to do. And they can hide that behind them saying, I really want to like stop smoking. And if they depend on their willpower to stop smoking, 
then they're leaning on the very thing that's causing them to smoke. You see how that works? It's like handing a crippled man some broken crutches and say, hey, walk it out, guy. Or handing a blind man a flashlight and saying, find your way out of the dark. See, God gives us new legs to walk. God gives us new eyes to see. And he sets us free to choose him in a way that we never would have on our own. So look what it says. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5. This is Paul, the apostle. And he says this. You were dead. What does a dead person do? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> Their body decays. And that's it. They don't talk. They don't walk. They don't come back. They don't tell you anything. They're dead. You were, were, that's a big word in it, were dead in your trespasses and sin. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power air of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of our flesh and our minds, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of them. A child of wrath, what does that mean? You're full of anger. Not only does it mean you're full of anger, but God is angry at you. A child of God is not a child of wrath. A child of wrath is someone who is in the world, who has their back turned to God and is walking away from Him. And God's judgment, God's condemnation is hanging over them, and they will grit their teeth, and they will ball their fists, and they will spit in God's face before they would ever turn and trust Him. They are angry at God. Why did you make me like this? And the reality is, it's our very nature that makes like us like we are, not God. God created Adam in perfect in holiness. Adam turned away from how God made him and turned to his own desires. And that's all what happened he is. So you see what's happening? You are by nature a children of wrath just like the rest. But look what happened. Good news. And always bad news and good news. Law and gospel, right? Look what happened. Among them too, we all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desire of our flesh and our minds, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of man. And then it says, but God. And anytime you're reading your New Testament and you come across those two words, get ready, some good news is coming. You were, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, He's rich in mercy. He's got it all, right? That's what our word rich in mercy means. He's got all the mercy. God is rich in mercy. Even when we were dead, did what? Made us alive. Together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Now, I want you to think back to the garden. And I want you to think back to Adam. He was formed out of the clay. And the Bible tells us that God took that clay form and breathed breath into his nostrils and he became a living being. Yes. But the moment he and Eve turned from God's promises and God's truth and turned to their own desires, they stepped into a world of death and destruction and darkness and hate. They turned their back on God and they became what we become when our backs are turned to God. They were dead in their trespass sin. And we can prove it because all their kids act just like they did. We're chips off the old block. But this passage and the passage in John 3 says God makes us alive. You must be born again. So what happens is, is God, through the preaching of the Word of God, through the teaching of the Word of God, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, God breathed eternal breath into a dead soul. 
You are only as free as your nature. And in our fallen condition, we are unwilling to come. Let's look at a couple more passages. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 says this. A natural man, this is one who does not have the breath of God in him. This is one who has fallen and turned from God. A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Looking at John 6, 37 through 44, says this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. The one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. What is the will of him who sent me? This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who, behold, sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Therefore, the Jews were grumbling about this. Why are they grumbling? Because they're natural men. And what he's saying does not make sense. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, is this not Jesus? Is not our chosen father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Now remember, he's comparing himself to the manna. Yes, yes. He's speaking spiritually of what they're thinking about. This is Joseph and Mary's kid. What is he talking about? He came down. They're thinking with their natural mind. The spiritual thing of God did not make sense. Jesus answered that, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him. That word can, you remember when you were in school as a kid and you asked the teacher, can I go to the bathroom? And what did she always say to you? You may go to the bathroom. Right. There's a difference in can and may. Can is do you have the physical ability to do it? May means you have the permission to do it. Yes, amen. Now I want you to think about the passage we did earlier today. All of those who received him, all of those who believed on his name, he gave them the right, the freedom, the ability to become children of God. So when God's word breathes into you, when he rips that heart of stone out of you and he gives you the heart of flesh and fills you with his spirit, he said, now you can come. Amen. You're my kid. I love you, and this is why I called you, so that you can come to me. I have set you free to do my will. So he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Every one of you in this room, if you are a believer, if you are a born-again, blood-bought child of God, it is because at some time in your life, God's Spirit reached out to you and said, I love you too much that I can keep living right Amen. And I'm going to drag you out of that old world you live in. I'm going to rip that heart of stone out of you. I'm going to give you a heart of flesh. And I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And I'm going to give you the strength to walk in a way that you never could. He sets us free to be his kids. And it is a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful story. On that last day, when we all stand before that throne and praise our Lord and Savior, it's going to be for what he did, not what we do. Amen. And it is so important for us to see that. All right, two more passages about that, and then we'll wind down. It says in uh, John 8, 47, He who is of God hears the word of God. For this reason, you do not hear them because you are not of God. He was talking to those Jews. He said, the reason you can't hear this is because you're not of God. Yes. And why did they want to nail him to the cross? Because they're the most godly people in the world, according to themselves. And the reason they couldn't hear is because they didn't have a the heart to hear. They didn't have the eyes to see. They didn't know him. 
The very Messiah that their words proclaimed would come was standing in front of them. And what did they say? Crucify him. Yes. All right? It says in John 10, 26-31, watch this. You do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Amen. He's got you, Amen. and he's not letting you go. You have his promise. You carry his name. Yes. You are his child. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and there is no one that can snatch them from my hand. Now watch there. Let's see. I and the Father are one. That goes back to our John passage where He is the Word, He is God. And then what does it say? The Jews pick up stone to stone to stone Him again. What was their reaction to those claims? Rejecting. Rejecting. Okay. <clears throat> God sets us free from the bond of sin. With a new heart and a new spirit, we freely choose to trust God. Now I want you to notice that this is all going towards that theme that we've learned the last two weeks. Light has come in the world and the darkness does not comprehend it. Light has come in the world and those who receive him, those who believe him, become children of light. Those who reject him stay in the dark. Yes. You see? He, and, and it's this theme over and over. God gives us his promises. God gives us his word. And we either receive them and believe them or we push them away and we reject them. So, <clears throat> look at the last verse in uh, John uh, 1, 13. John 1, 13. And it says this. And I know we got to hurry and finish. But John 1, 13 says this. These children, all of those who received him, all of those who believed on him were given the right to become children of God. These children were not born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. They were born of God. So what are you saying? They're not born of blood. They're not born, born of the will of the flesh. They're not born of the will of man, but born of the will of God. That's what that is implying. So look, think about what he's saying there. Number one, the new birth is not a result of our genetic heritage. Yes. Just because you raised your kids up as Christians or just because you was raised as a Christian is no guarantee that you will be a child of God. Amen. It definitely helps. Yes. We're to raise up our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And the Bible tells us that if, if we raise them in His promises, they will not stray far from them. Yes. By the grace of God, God planted many of you in Christian homes where you heard the burden and the promise of God all your life. Yes. But your parents, my mom played the piano and my grandfather was a Baptist preacher and my dad's a deacon in his church. None of their genetics had anything to do with me believing. It was God's will that I become a child. Number two, we see that salvation is not of the natural will. You don't just wake up one day, like you say, I'm going to quit smoking and say, I think I'll be a Christian today. Yes. Because we've learned that the natural man doesn't want anything to do with Christianity. If you don't believe that, go down to the boat ramp down here and see. Yes. Amen. Right? Yes. If the natural man wants something to do with God, why is everybody out there doing all of their things on the Lord's day? Yes. All right, so it's not of blood, it's not of the will of man, uh, will of the flesh, will of your natural being, nor the will of the man. What I mean is, I'm a pastor, I would love to know that every one of you are believers and that you're all going to heaven. I can't see your heart, I don't know. Amen. But if I could 
hold you down on the ground and hogtie you and dump holy water on, on you until you spit it up. And I thought that that would help you to become a child of God. We'd have a bath here this morning. Yes. If there was something in my power that I could do to ensure that you are a child of God, I would do it. But that's not what he's created me to do. What he's created me to do is to proclaim his promises to you, to share his promises with you, and through the proclamation of his word and the power of his spirit, he draws his people to himself. Yes. So it's not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Yes. It's God's will that you be his child. Last thing. Promise. I'm about to say that a lot, but this is last. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11, and let's look at this. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit? Now, remember, kids are the ones that get an inheritance. Yes, yes. It's the children that get the inheritance. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, be deceived neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers, or effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, or covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because they are natural men, they're doing what they do naturally, and because they're natural men, the natural man does not inherit the kingdom. And look what it says next. Bad news, good news. And such were some of you. But you were what? Washed. You were sanctified. Yes. I mean, set apart. Yes. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God. What's that saying? Those people do not inherit the kingdom of God. Yes. And you were those people. Yes. But God reached down into a world full of those people and in His own will and His own sovereignty and His own decree, He said, Nope. I love you too much to let you keep living like that. And he pulled you out of that filthy, wicked world that you were in. And he washed you clean with his word. And he reached into your chest and he ripped that heart of stone out of you. And he gave you a heart of flesh and he filled you with his spirit to seal that you are his child. Amen. And have an inheritance, an eternal inheritance. Yes. That's by the will of God that that inheritance is yours. And I promise you, as God's people, you will simply trust in his promises and trust in his will, yes. you will find the peace that this world and your will would never give you. Amen. His will be done on yes. earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together in your word. I know and I know for myself, I can't speak for anyone here, but this message challenges me every day to look away from myself and to look to you. My prayer is that each and every one of us in this room will understand the preciousness of the gift that you have given us in salvation. The preciousness of your eternal inheritance. The preciousness of having you, Holy Spirit, live in us and to guide us and to keep us. Help us, dear Father, to become more like your Son through the study and the preaching of your Word, uh, through the means of grace that you have given us. Help us to know you more. Help us as a church to share these promises with this community around us. Help us to do your will. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I think we have, we got two songs, and then we'll close with a benediction.
You can just do Jesus strong account. We'll just finish with that. We'll just do one. <clears throat> As we get ready to play this song, I want you to think about this. Whose will are you serving today? Yes. Whose will are you serving today? I should come to 